We don't slut shame around here. They say we are what we eat. Does that come in organic? So who are you eating? I believe they call that an ethical slut. Can I unplug your phone so I can charge my vibrator? I can't believe he couldn't find it. Fuck it. Let's roll. You're listening to Eat, Play, Sex with Dr. Cat, the place to up-level that sexy life of yours with expert talk on sex, love, and nutrition. Hey lovers, and welcome to another episode of Eat, Play, Sex. I'm your sex expert, Dr. Cat. I'm starting the show with a trigger warning. We are going to be getting into some sensitive topics around sexual assault in the military. And while I fully believe it's in the noticing of the triggers as they light up in our body, I also fully honor the consent and agency of the listener. Do I want to lean into this now? Do I want to be open to hearing what's happening in the culture that I live in? Am I ready to feel what's alive in my body and what I may not have faced yet? These are important questions to answer for yourself because we do need to be open to receiving the healing potential here because if we're not, it's just going to be more painful. And truthfully, I couldn't begin my own sexual healing journey until it was activated in my own body by hearing the story of someone else who had a similar experience to my own. But once my body started viscerally remembering, I could no longer go back to ignorance. And here was a point that I could start with to work towards that healing. Now, lately, there's been a lot of talk in the news media about sexual assault in the military and the potential changes that are to come. So here to help us better understand the culture, what's happening, and what we can do about it is Army veteran and doctoral candidate, Demika Wallace. But before we get to Demika, I want to thank you all for tuning in. I want to thank you for the reviews on iTunes, and if there's a favorite episode or topic you'd like me to touch on, be sure to put it in the reviews so I can catch it. For those of you who leave me a review, you can also gain access to my secret erotic playlist that I use for my own sex exploration <laughs> and sex adventures. So go to the show notes and click on the link and share with me a snapshot of your review and you'll gain instant access to that. My goal here is to help you to eat, play, and sex so much better. So if I can create an ambiance for you with epic, slithery, sexy, dark music, then <laughs> then I have, I, I don't know, I've met my calling. <laughs> so if you haven't already, please head to eplaysex.com where you can subscribe to the show, connect with me, and read more about you can up-level your sex, love, and vitality. Now, a bit about our fantastic guest today. Demika Wallace is an Army veteran, a doctoral candidate, and the founder of Her Vagenda, who holds monthly events aiming to help women veterans build the confidence and intimacy after the experience of sexual assault. Thank you so much for joining me today, Demika. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Dr. Cap, for allowing me the opportunity to talk on your podcast. This is a pleasure. It, this is huge. This is a conversation I believe that we need to be having. You know, it's almost like 
if you're not in the military, it's, it's other, it's somebody mm-hmm. else. It's dealing with somebody else. So we don't, we kind of tune out or we have more of a tendency to tune out because it's somebody else. And so mm-hmm. when you reached out to me first about your conference coming out, I, I, I like literally snapped the, I was like, yes, this is exactly <laughs> what I want to talk about. I de- I definitely want to be a part of this. What and because this is so big and there's more conversations being had that I'm seeing in the media news today, what inspired you to take this on? Like this is big. It's big, but I think at the time I wasn't thinking how big it was gonna become. Um, at the beginning of last year, I was sitting at the beginning of quarantine. I was sitting and I was like, you know what? Where do I want to see my life in the next couple of years? Right. I thought about, you know, eventually I'm going to settle down, get married. What kind of marriage do I want to have? And so for me, I was just thinking like, I want to be able to look across the room, see my husband and be like, he's going to get these draws tonight. (laughs) So how do I get from the person that I am now that's very closed off and, you know, kind of like timid when it comes to all things around sex to being that person who's comfortable and open to a, a great connection and experience with my spouse? future spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I started researching different uh, resources, which I came across uh, sex therapy. And I was like, oh, I didn't know anything about this. Came across Tantra. And I was like, you know, this would be a great opportunity for a lot of female veterans, because I know more female veterans than not who have experienced some kind of sexual assault, whether in the military or in their adolescent years. And so I was like, this will be a great opportunity to kind of help them move past. Well, not really move past because everybody has to, they're on their own journey to healing. Mm -hmm. But for people who are to the point when they're like, I want that type of lifestyle, kind of like I talked about, that's the type of marriage I want to have. So for those women, I was like, you know, sometimes we don't know how to get there Mm -hmm. or we don't know what resources are out there. So I was like, well, let me see if I can pull all of this together and offer it for free for female veterans. That's amazing. So it's, so from what I'm hearing your share is that this was born from your own experience. You're saying you were shut down. Yes, definitely. So coming from a religious background Mm -hmm. and where (laughs) sex wasn't talk about, it was very taboo. And then you experience sexual assault. So it kind of perpetuates that sex is bad. Like you just don't do it. And then you go into getting into a marriage and then it's kind of like, okay, now do it. And you're uncomfortable or you get into a relationship where, you know, you want to make, you want to please that person. You want to build that connection, but it's kind of like that disconnect because of an experience that you had early on in life. So how do you move forward with that? And that was kind of like how all of this has grown and developed out of that one seed of, hey, there's a different type of life that I want to have that I'm not currently living. There's a mentality that I want to have that I don't currently have. How do I get there? Mm, Yeah. When I think of this in psychology, we call it the process of change. So it's, Mm -hmm. you know, there's this uh, pre-contemplation phase where we're not even present to the fact that there could be something to change. And then there's the contemplation stage where you're thinking about it. And then there's the planning and you're starting to put pieces together all Mm -hmm. before you even start making this change. So here Mm -hmm. you, you acknowledge that there's this part of you Um, the way that you're living now does not match where you want to be. And I can Mm -hmm. imagine the frustration that, 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 uh, comes 
out of that experience. And then Mm -hmm. many people get stuck in the frustration piece, but you're actually taking charge. What helped you to make that, um, make that action of, you know what, I'm actually going to do something about this. Well, there was a level of, of frustration, but there was also a level of confusion Mm. because this is what I want to have, but my background tells me it's not something that probably I should have. So trying to reconcile that, like my background being in religion and Mm -hmm. the relationship that I want to have, the sex life that I want to have with my partner does not align. So how do I reconcile that? Yeah. So that was kind of like a moment of, okay, now how do I move forward with this? If this is what I want, but this is what my background says, how do I move forward? So I just had to make a decision for myself that this is something that I want. And then also um, I talked to my mom about it, which I thought she was going to flip a lid. And I, (laughs) being, you know, a godly woman who doesn't cuss, who doesn't drink and she lives her life accordingly. And to talk to her about it and be like, hey, I want to be able to see my husband across the room and say, oh, he's going to get these draws. And for my mom to be like, "Mm, okay, okay. So then it was like, okay, so I can have this. Okay, so it is, it's okay. So getting that kind of that confirmation from my mom and people who are important to me, that really helped me move forward. Mm, It was almost like permission that was. we look up to these figures that, that we, you know, hold a lot of value to, um, mm-hmm. especially like our mom, who is, you know, whether we're conscious of it or not, we're looking for their approval. And here she's saying, yeah, you can have that. And you're like, boom, open, I'm doing it. Door open. <laughs> so then I went into, I'm very much, I'm, I'm more of a visionary. Uh-huh. So if I see something, I envision something, I run after it. Oh, bless you. So it was kind of like, okay, well, let me see if, you know, anybody will be willing to be a panelist. Uh-huh. And I reached out to you and you were like, oh yeah, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, great. And then a couple other panelists, they were like, oh, I'm all in. And I was like, okay, this is a thing. Yeah. Okay. So moving forward. Okay. So I can get that. And there's a lot of people who support it. A lot of people who are behind the cause. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm becoming more comfortable. Yeah. And just the conversations with everybody on the panelists have led me to a place of confidence uh-huh. in owning my sexuality and sexuality so that any conversation, every, any conversation that I have around sex, whether it's like I'm on a date and a guy brings up sex, I can have a productive conversation opposed to it leading down a road where I'm uncomfortable and I just cut that person off. Now we can have a productive conversation around it because I'm comfortable with the topic and I know exactly where I want the conversation to go. And one thing that I can really relate to with what you're sharing is um, there's a, just in having these conversations, you are reconditioning yourself to be able to have these conversations with more comfort. Mm -hmm. I know that's something that I used to do in college is I would read a lot of research about sex and, and and then just like start conversations and just be like, did you know that the penis only has 20,000 and inside I would be like so anxious. Oh my gosh. But over time it became easier for me to just start talking about it because I was petrified And so you are giving, really giving people permission of, okay, here's how I turned my, um, my challenges into, into my mission. 
mm-hmm. and helping you to, to overcome it yourself along this journey. Yes. That's why I did the podcast. And for me, I feel like everything that I do with this business is all about me. Mm. And like I said, I have monthly events where uh, we come together is I have a therapist that hosts and then we do something sensual or sexual. So mm. I always tell people in the beginning of the in the beginning of the event, like, hey, this is more so for me than it is for anybody else. You are just a part of the journey. <laughs> if you want to come along with me, that's fine. But this is something that I need for myself. I'm very passionate about and I don't want to be the same person I was um, <laughs> after the military, after experience, my sexual assault um, situations. I shut down. I was like a shell of a person. I could barely hold a conversation with people because I was so emotional and so empty and so so unemotional on the inside. And so then fast forward to the point now where I'm like, no, like I have so much more life in me. I've lost so many years where I was just quiet. I couldn't advocate nor vocalize how I feel or what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And so that's not the type of lifestyle I want to live. So for me, whether you come and show up or not, I'm going to be here and I'm going to get something out of it. I've never been in the military life, so I'm only privy to scenes I see in movies or experiences of past clients who were in the military and experienced sexual trauma. So maybe you can help me and the listeners understand the culture and how that might foster the potential for sexual assault. Like, does the military spell out to soldiers what constitutes sexual assault and harassment? Do they define it or is it just vaguely understood. Like here in today's society, there's so many conversations, there's so many trainings, there's so many podcasts, especially since the Me Too movement where it is talked about more. So we're asking more questions and and we know more about what to look out for or even in our own behavior, how that might be supportive. And I'm not saying this is perfect, right? But um, how is that in the military? Sexual assault, I think across the board is sexual assault. Um, When it comes to sexual harassment, probably traditionally or historically in the military, it wasn't really considered harassment. If you think about it, the military is predominantly men. Historically, it's majority men. Um, Now we're getting to, I've been out for years, but now the military has grown to the point where they have a lot more women who are coming into the military and they're trying to cater to those people as more women are moving up in um, in ranks. And so the culture has gone from um, a culture of, you know, good old boys and, you know, locker room talk to now people are trying to manage and or trying to really think about what they're saying before they say it. Uh, There were a lot of programs that were put in place back when I was in the military, like the EO program where someone come in like every month or every quarter or every time there was an event that that occurred and talk to you about sexual assault, sex or harassment. Um, But then also you have to think when you're in a unit that's predominantly men. And so those conversations are normalized. Uh, Women, women were for my unit um, at one point during one of my deployments, I was the only female during my deployment out of Mm -hmm. all the men who deployed. Mm -hmm. And so just being around other men who are okay with that conversation, you develop tough skin and then you feel like, well, it's not that big of a deal. So if you meet most women who were in the military, 
if you say something sexual around them, they don't even care. They don't flinch. And they're just like, okay, whatever. Which if you meet someone from corporate America, she would be like, oh no, I don't tolerate that conversation. Mm. It's just normalized. But they're moving away from that. I think um, the military is creating a lot of programs. They're not completely 100% eradicated sexual assault cases, but they're in the process of doing a better job of capturing um, reports and then also penalizing people. I know we see in the news oftentimes that some people do get away with it. And that's just their, you know, that chain of command, but not every chain of command is like that. But um, they're moving. I feel like they're moving in the right direction. Um, Hopefully they get to a zero, a level of zero report, zero cases coming forward, zero people talking about it. Well, not talking about it, but zero people saying that something happened to them or reporting something happened to them. Um, I know in 2019, 2020, Um, They came out with a new program called Catch, which I thought was great. Um, Basically, they allowed any of the victims to um, unrestrict their cases, their files, so -hmm. that if they could basically compare it to other cases and capture people who were repeat offenders. So they're trying to identify those people who are serial sex offenders and remove them from the military. So I thought that was great. It's a step in the right direction, like I said, but it's not completely catch all, right. going to eradicate everything 100%. Yeah. What do you think are some of the contributing factors to the culture as as um, uh, it being, uh, you were saying around the, the harassment that's being um, like the locker room talk, but what do you think is making it... Um, uh, even more, or I guess, is it, do you think, see it as more of a, of an issue than it is in say corporate America, or do you think it's, it's pretty much the same? Do you think? Oh, no, the military has corporate America beat. And I say that because in the military, you're, you also have to take in, take into consideration that, um, it's a culture of don't show your weakness. Mm. So even if you feel a certain kind of way, you're not going to say anything because you don't want someone to to say that you're weak or that you're sensitive. Oh, she's sensitive. Oh, she's weak. Or, you know, you can't say anything in front of her. So oftentimes a lot of women just don't say anything. Mm -hmm. So it creates that environment that you can say, you can harass someone and that person just has to be quiet and not say anything. And then also, um, it's also an environment where, you know, how they say shit rolls downhill, Mm -hmm. but in the military shit rolls uphill. (laughs) So that, and I say that to the point um, you have a soldier and the soldier gets in trouble in the military, yeah. opposed to like corporate America, corporate America, you're only as a supervisor, you're only responsible for productivity. Mm-hmm. On the military side, you're responsible for that person's personal life. So if one of your soldiers get locked up, guess what? You have to get up at two o'clock in the morning and go and bail that person out. Oh. If that person gets if that person gets in trouble, like a sexual assault case, you have to go before the higher ups about, you know, that soldier. OK, so it's kind of like not only is that soldier in trouble, but maybe the chain of command feel like they're in trouble as well. Got it. So there's an interrelationship between responsibility for the people in. Yeah. Of the people that are underneath our command. And mm-hmm. OK. So I can see how a lot of things would like slide up, is pushed underneath the rug because yeah. who wants to report up that, hey, my soldier just raped somebody? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to be in that mix mm-hmm. having to do that. Yeah. And I can imagine too, as you're describing this culture of harassment as a locker room talk, you know, this is just the norm. It normalizes in the system of, of the soldier, whether this is man or woman as, okay, there's, it's not a big deal. I'm supposed to roll with this. I'm supposed to go with this, mm-hmm. but that doesn't that also feed this culture of, of, uh, the potentiality of sexual assault. Like it just feels to me like it's almost like, you know, like raising the water in the well, you know, and you're just used I to agree. it rising. Yeah, definitely. And um, the DOD, they recognize that. And so they have like another survey that goes out every single year and they ask about culture. What's the culture of your unit? Like how, was the relationship, you know, within like your unit and they take that data and I think they analyze it to see kind of like, what can they do out of it? Mm. So I don't know, implementing new policies and procedures in order to reduce that. Um, yeah. So yeah. like I said, they're trying to move in the right direction. They just have, there's a lot of things that need to happen. A lot of, um, a lot of cultural normality, um, attitudes and behaviors mm-hmm. that probably need to change. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the process that somebody goes through in the military, like, um, uh, reporting and, and the reason why I bring that up is because from the watching the news and reading reports or articles, it sounds to me like when people report, they end up getting shifted units or dropped cases or failure mm-hmm. at, even their, their trauma getting treated, it just sounds like a mess. So what would uh, somebody who experiences, what, what would they, how would they go about this or what would they do? Back when I was in, to be honest, I really didn't know what the process was. Um, more than not, back in those days, in the early 2000s, um, a couple of things were going on. One, you have it's a it's a period where we're getting deployed all the time. The wars kick off. You're overseas. It's kind of like, OK, I don't even know where the clinic is or, you know, trying to find your unit. Sometimes the units are spread up. There's a lot of things that go into it. Nowadays, I don't know kind of what their process is. I know the military has started, especially the army has started a sharp uh, program where they talk about. Um, and also they they have a lot of marketing material around reporting, which mm. is a whole lot better than what it was back in my day. But they what talk you- about, you know, reporting. They kind of drill that into people's head like, hey, you have to report it. You have to report it. We're going to you know, make sure that you're OK. We're going to make sure there's no pushback or retaliation around it, um, opposed to back in my day. Like I said, I personally didn't even know what the what is the process yeah yeah and I think now they're doing a good job of talking about what the process is and marketing the process Mm. and then as far as treatment I really don't know what the treatment is I think it's just therapy um and then outside of that when you get out the military you go to therapy with VA but I think now they're starting to realize that sex therapy is something that's important, especially when you have a lot of women who are being sexually assaulted, getting out or trying to be in a relationship, or maybe they were um, sexually assaulted and they were married. So Mm -hmm. outside of their marriage, they were sexually assaulted. 
And so now that's causing a hindrance in their relationship, in their marriage. Yeah, yeah. So there's an added layer there of making mm-hmm. uh, making resolution around the fact that this happened with somebody not their partner. Yes. And then also um, one thing that I have to talk about is um, now that I'm doing this and talking to a whole a whole lot of VSOs, which is veteran service organizations, I get a lot of people to pull me to the side like, hey, what are you doing for men? Because there are a yeah. lot of men who are being sexually assaulted as well. That's not really talked about as much as the women. Mm-hmm. Um, we we both know that men have egos and they have pride. So nine times out of 10, they're not going to report it and they're not going to tell anybody. And yet it's it's very prevalent in the military. Um, in my research, a lot of it starting with hazing. Yes, I'm not familiar with the hazing process in the military or or if someone is being hazed, but yeah, I heard um, a lot of stories from a lot of older veterans as well as younger veterans. So it's still ongoing. But like I said, hopefully the military can kind of get everything under control and prevent all of that. Recently, I read that the Biden administration ordered a new review of the sexual assault and harassment issues to look at why millions have been spent on education and awareness campaigns, but not making much headway in resolving the actual issue or even getting to the point of courts martial or convictions. So from, from what I've read, it seems that many of these victims' complaints are being handled within their own chains of command, which to me would seem super scary or even inhibit me from coming forward. Can you speak to any of that current review that's going on? Yeah, that was part of VA. So okay. a part of it is VA is now, so there's a lot of people who got out the military that filed claims. And for whatever for whatever reason, they may not have uh, reported it in, in the military. And so because they don't have that evidence, VA was uh, denying a lot of cases. And so now they're going back and reviewing a lot of those cases. Wow. Yeah. And I can imagine that process, that right there, as a victim who's gone through sexual assault, like how how challenging that is to step forward and say that this happened, you know, and then mm-hmm. you're met with this, the, with the trauma of just being told you don't have enough evidence or you don't have enough backing you up to be able to support you yeah. in this process. That's really traumatizing. For man Definitely. or woman. Yeah, yeah. And then oftentimes um, some people feel like that they have to write a letter, detail, detail by detail, reliving it. And so now VA has gotten to the point where they're like, hey, you don't have to do that. You can just put in your claim. And they have other qualifiers that they go by. Like, mm-hmm. say, for instance, you were in the military, you were a high speed soldier the entire time, and then you experienced sex, sexual assault, then after that, you were no longer that high-speed person. You were getting in trouble all the time. You can tell that there was a shift in personality or behaviors. And because of that, they can say, okay, something traumatic happened at that point. So they make the decision on whether or not they want to use that as evidence. Mm. Who is making these, who's looking at these, uh, at, at these reports and making these decisions? Like, is that higher ups in the military or is this a totally separate entity? Yeah, VA and the military are two separate entities Mm -hmm. within the government. And so when you file a claim, a lot of times you have to go before a therapist 
Mm-hmm. You know, if it's something mental, if it's something physical, you go before a medical professional. So yeah. a doctor or a PA or MPA or a nurse practitioner. Yeah. And they have criteria that they have to go by in order to rate um, kind of like your level of trauma or how VAC. They have a whole policy. You can look it up online and see what the qualifiers are. Um, And you can basically compare what you have going on to what their rules are. And you can also you can figure out like what the rating would be if they decide if they approve it or if they deny it. It'll let you know why it was probably denied because you didn't meet these certain criteria. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's that's got to be challenging. And does this impact somebody's, I guess, moving forward in their career? When they're in the in the military, because I've read about reports of people being shifted from unit to unit, and I can't even imagine what that how that impacts their ability to to um, you know uh, what's the word promote promotion in the in the military. I don't know about that piece. I never experienced that, but I have seen situations where women just get out. Like for me. My last deployment was the worst time of my life. I, I was depressed. Um, like I would go to bed at, in, I was in Iraq and I would go to bed at 3 p.m., wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Like extremely depressed to the point where I went from going before the board for my E5 and telling my Sergeant Major, I'm going to have your job one day to I'm getting out and I don't even feel like showing up to formation. I don't feel like doing anything. I just want to do my time and get out. Yeah. And it's crazy how, you know, you have soldiers who make that make you see those behavioral changes. Nobody ever identifies it and say, hey, what's going on with that person? Let's figure out what's going on with that. But then also I have to think about like during that time, my leadership kept changing. So maybe one leader who saw me as this high performance super trooper to another one comes in and I'm low performing. I don't even want to be here. Mm. Yeah. And how they can mislabel that as lazy or non-compliant or, and how often we see that even just in the culture at large too, we see somebody's change in behavior and we, we label them as something wrong with them or, or mm-hmm. lazy. And, and we don't ask these questions. Same with kids, right? We see kids misbehaving mm-hmm. in, in schools and we just call them a trouble child instead of actually asking the questions of what, what's the source of this? What could be going yeah, on? What's going on? Exactly. Yeah. And that's how it is in the military. But hopefully, like I said, they make those changes. Yeah. And put in a place to identify those behavior changes, because it's not also I mean, it's not only with sexual assault, but also with PTSD, because a lot of people are deploying their experience combat trauma. So you will see those personality changes as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's more more talk about mental health in the in the military than there was before. Oh, yeah. And I tell people all the time, I thank God that I was in the military, especially being a person of color, because oftentimes in a black community, we do not talk about mental health at all. And so for me to be a veteran and it's accepted like, oh, well, you know, you're a veteran. So, yeah, you should be going to therapy. So it's okay for me to talk to my family and be like, oh, yeah, you know, I just got out of counseling. I go I go to counseling two times a week and it's not a problem. 
Mm-hmm. But then, you know, when I talked to my mom about them going to counseling and she's like, oh, no, I'm just going to pray. We don't we don't go to counseling. We don't go to therapy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, you need to go to a therapist. You're just as crazy as I am. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go together. <laughs> but that's one thing that I'm starting to see with a lot of my friends who are of color. And I'm telling them I'm just open like, hey, you know, I got to count. Yeah, I just got back from therapy. And me and my therapist talked about this, this, this. And, you know, I struggle in this area. And they're like, you're just so transparent. And I'm like, at this point in my life, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I'm very open and transparent about where I am in my life. And it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's how so the change happens. Exactly. Yeah. I'm not ashamed. I go to a therapist uh, twice a week and hopefully I'm going to get a sex therapist as well. And a tantra teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Were you able to ever report what happened to you in the military? I didn't. And like some people, I think for me, I felt like I was, I would have been seen as somebody who was weak. Yeah. For someone to come from a mother and a grandmother who is very strong, like the strongest women that I know, like I was ashamed. One, I was embarrassed because at times I felt like I put myself in situations that I should not have been in. And that was because you take a girl straight out of the country, put her in the military away from everybody at 17. And do you actually think she's going to make good decisions mm. or she's going to choose the right person? And for me, both of my situations were people I were in, I was in a relationship with. Yeah. One, I was in a relationship with one guy and it happened. And for him, it messed me up for a while. Um, because for him, he felt like him rape hit when he raped me, mm-hmm. it was because he loved me. Yeah. So that messed me up. And then after that, the next person, he found me passed out because in the military, everybody drinks. Yeah. So he found me passed out somewhere and tried to nurse me back to health and had sex with me. I woke up in a bathtub naked. And for him, he thought that was like, you know, and I said something to someone. And this is very important. I told one of my closest friends, I saw him that that morning and I told him what happened. And he said, no, that's not what happened. Y'all are in a relationship. None of that ever happened. And One, we were not in a relationship, but he had been telling people that we were still in a relationship and we were not, which that didn't even matter for me to be passed out. And for that to happen, he was it was very inappropriate. And so for my friend to tell me that someone that I respected, I shut down for years. I quit talking. Yeah. And so I would see that person on base and he would like crack jokes and make like sly comments like, I don't know what, what I ever saw in Wallace. I look at her and people will be like, that's the best thing that you ever had. Like, that's the best person you ever talked to. But in my mind, it was like really messing with me. Like I said, it was the second time. And for me, I just didn't want to come forward and say, I was just like, you know what? Let me just move on with my life. Yeah. And then eventually it was like, let me get, just get out the military. Yeah. So it's more of the reaction of the nervous system shut down the part of you that's protecting you instead Mm -hmm. of taking the risk to take action because Mm -hmm. there's a potential of more pain. The more we're staying open, the more that we're uh, moving to try to change something or or bring any sort of resolution or justice or, or peace to us. It's, it's, I'm just going to hold this myself. I'm going to deal with this myself. I can take care of this myself. I'm just going to, it was for me, it was that rejection for me to. So with the first situation, I went to one of my close friends and talked to him about it. 
from there, like he always made sure I was protected anywhere he would go. He would be like, put your stuff on. You're going with me. Wow. And then, So to have that acceptance, but then in the second situation for me to go to someone that I saw as a brother and for that person to be like, oh, no, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It was rejection for me. And because of that, like I really shut down. Yeah. And went into like, you know, a dark spot. Yeah. And I, and I can really relate. And I'm sure many female listeners can even relate to this or even men. This is, mm-hmm. this is non-gender um, uh, specific, but that was something I think after um, I had also had multiple sexual experience, like sexual um, assault experiences. And, and one of which happened when I was about 24 and going to my then best friend guy. And he mm-hmm. also told me that wasn't rape or that mm-hmm. wasn't and it also, I felt so disoriented and invalidated. And I was like, exactly that against myself. And my whole body went into more of a guardedness to mm-hmm. contract and hold that story inside. It wasn't until I completely fell apart in my therapist's office and went into convulsions that it was like, oh, there is something there. It's just, my body yes. is re- viscerally responding to something, even if my mind is telling me, a confusing uh, statement. And it's almost like this, Mm -hmm. the confusion of this is even more painful than the actual experience because the confusion makes everything disoriented and it's hard to move beyond. And you're questioning yourself. I had a similar situation Um, afterwards, uh, by the time, like towards the end of my, um, my contract before I got out of the military, so I started having like panic attacks, yeah. know, like small panic attacks. And then once I got out of the military, I was having like full blown. I thought I was dying. I was having heart attacks. I kept going to the ER and I was like, I'm dying. And they were like, no, you're not. Nothing's wrong with your heart. And then VA was like, no, you need to go and talk to a therapist. And they were like, come on in here. Let's go and talk to a therapist. Mm-hmm. And so I went there, sat on the couch twice a week. No, three times a week, every single week for two years. And then finally I opened up and I talked to, uh, um, I think he was, a he was a, not a therapist. He was a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. I opened up to a psychiatrist and he was like, no, you were raped. And I was like, no, no, no. But you know, that's such a harsh word. And right. it was bad. It was just, you know, I was just put myself in the wrong situation. And he was just like, no, in the first situation, did you say yes? And I was like, I didn't. I was like, I said no for a week. Yeah. And um, he was like, with the second situation, did you say yes? And I was like, I was passed out. And he was like, no, both situations were right. Mm-hmm. So that was validating. So then he started talking to me about like, hey, you need to start opening up, talking about it. And then for there, I didn't talk to my mom about it. I think I just talked to my mom a little bit about it like this year. But before that, the first people that I talked to in my family were my nieces. And I talked to them about what I was going through, about, you know, me being depressed and, you know, going through the struggles of my journey. And from there, like I would get phone calls at like two o'clock in the morning. My niece would call me and be like, hey, my friend, she has a gun up to your to her head. Can you talk to her? She went through a sexual assault experience and she's struggling with it. She's suicidal. And so I would get up in the middle of the night and just talk to my niece's friends. Yeah. Yeah. And so by you sharing your story and even here and now it's giving women this, um, mm, 
validation, but also perhaps mm-hmm. even a redefinition of what rape is or what sexual assault is. And like we talked yes. about earlier, you know, how does the military define sexual assault? How does it define harassment? Because it's mm-hmm. how we define things creates the our internal uh, working model that we see the world yeah. through this lens. And if it's not defined, if it's not clearly written out of how mm-hmm. we individually understand these things, then Mm -hmm. we may be experiencing and it's not in our bodies reacting, but again, Mm -hmm. our brain is telling us, no, it's not. Yeah. But then also we have to think about, yeah, there's sexual assault, but then there's also situations where men are coercing women into having sex with them. So they would do stuff like manipulate or tell them like, well, I did this, this, this for you. So like out of obligation, like the person feel the woman feels like she has to have sex. Mm-hmm. So that's also, you know, I don't know how they would classify that, but you know, hopefully a lot of do, a lot of men will become more aware of their actions. Mm-hmm. But like I said, as I get out here and I date, I have open conversations like this with a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. And I talk to them about it. Like, hey, like, you know, even when I feel like people are trying to pressure me and I'm like, oh, you can't pressure me. I'm not doing anything that I don't want to do. Mm-hmm. I I tell them all the time, like, don't think just because you bought me something to eat that that gives you full reign of my body. Like you Mm -hmm. don't get that kind of, you know, you don't get that kind of right or authority in order to take over all of me because you paid one hundred and fifty dollars. Like that doesn't even equal to me. (laughs) No, your body is your agency. You get to do with what you like. And, and the, this, that reminds me of the term of grooming. Grooming is, you know, doing some sort of action to make somebody feel more special. It's almost like Mm -hmm. warm the, the boiling pot and getting somebody to be more open and trusting mm-hmm. to the other person, um, in, in taking advantage of them, of them once they're warmed up. Mm-hmm. Does that? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot of situations like that. Um, and I tell women all the time, like, how are you going to feel the next day? Yeah. Because if this, if you already feel in your spirit, your body, you have to be self-aware. Kind of like we talked about before and you're talking about now, you have to be self-aware. And when you're self-aware, your body lets you know, like, hey, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. So then either are you putting this person's needs above yours? And if so, then maybe you need to go to therapy mm. yeah. because you're not aware of your body and you don't understand how valuable you are. And if you see yourself as valuable, then there's certain things that you're just not going to do. Mm-hmm. And, and I always, you- oh, and I was about to say, either it's going to be me or you, either I'm going to value you more than I value myself. That's not going to happen. Oof. Yes. Picking yourself yeah. above the other person. And yet, like you said, at, a, at the age of 17, how impressionable we are. You're going into this mm-hmm. culture where this, this military culture uh, is run by power. There's so many mm-hmm. power differentials that are at play there. I mean, yes, in the yeah. culture at large, there's a lot of power differentials that at the age of 17, we're not aware of how the influence of power can impact us. Like that's what I was about to say, the influence. Yeah. And even in like, I'm in the yoga culture, (laughs) you know, I've been teaching yoga for 13 years and even going to train, 
trainings and people don't understand, even in this light culture, quote unquote, you know, there is these roles of power and how that can be used against us. You know, somebody Mm -hmm. coming in as a guru or somebody coming in as a um, yoga teacher master who knows all these things. And then their hands are all over your body. And we're like, oh, well, this is supposed to be, this is normal. This is supposed to be happening. This is a, you know, where they're Mm -hmm. treating us special and we feel really good. Oh, they're picking me, you know, and and it's, we don't understand that the, undercurrent of that. Mm -hmm. I agree. I definitely agree. Yeah. So having these, these talks, these conversations and, Mm -hmm. and for somebody who's going into the military, like like, at what time do these trainings happen? Because I can imagine somebody who's just going into it, they're not aware of all these conversations or these definitions or even what to look out for. Do they do this upon entry or when does that happen? I don't know now, but I, when I was in the military back in the day, it was either the unit would have like these kind of conversations um, in basic training. I believe it was so long ago, but <laughs> I believe we had a conversation about sexual harassment. And that's why um, during basic training in AIT, which is your training, your technical school, they always tell you to use a buddy system. Mm. So you always have to have a person there with you. So a male and a male and a female and a female. Yeah, I wonder. And and yet again, this goes across gender. And I can imagine, you know, the mm-hmm. sexual um, the sexual assault or harassment happens men to men as well as, you know, mm-hmm. women to men. And mm-hmm. um, I think of the buddy system. I think of like me in second grade walking to the bathroom with somebody. But like, it's way more complex than that. How well is that? Does that actually protect us? I honestly don't know. I think <laughs> yeah. for the most part, I can't, I can't tell you whether it does or not, but I think um, in a lot of situations that I was in, in basic training, mm-hmm. I had a battle buddy. She went with me everywhere and we weren't even in the same squad. Yeah, <laughs> She would come over from a different one. Like, no, we're friends because we met on our way to basic training. Uh-huh. And to this day, we're still friends. And so she would come over from a whole nother platoon and come over and we would be battle buddies, which pissed the drill sergeants off. But... <laughs> At some point, they were just like, okay, whatever. They're going to be battle buddies and it is what it is. But in that situation, I always felt like everywhere I went, she was with me. Yeah. Oh, I didn't have those issues. Yeah. Would have been some of the most powerful tools or practices or lessons that you've learned along your, your sexual healing journey that you would like to express to our listeners that you would let them like to let them know that is out there? I think the biggest one is trying to not identify, but envisioning what I want for my future. Mm. And anytime I date, I try to see if this person even fits that mode. And if they Mm -hmm. don't, I got to let it go. And then another thing is, and with that being said, um, I also look at, I look at, I know how I want to feel when it comes to my sensuality and sexuality. And if I don't feel that way for you, then I can't move forward with you. Like I can't have sex with somebody I'm just not interested in just because it looks good on paper or just because you bought my food. I can't because the way I want to feel sexually, I can't have that with you. I had a discussion with somebody that the other day where I was telling him, I know the type of sex that I want to have. Mm -hmm. And at this time, emotionally, 
because emotionally I'm not there with you, I can never have that type of sex with you. So I just, I don't want to do it. Mm. So either either we're going to move forward and progress in a relationship and get to that point. Or if you don't have the time, you can go ahead and move on to somebody else. Mm -hmm. But you have to put yourself first. You have to understand exactly what you want out of the relationship sexually as well as emotionally and find people who are in line with that. And then two, you have, I think I said this, you have to value yourself more than the other person. Yeah. 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 And so being transparent, like you are, you've been practicing Mm -hmm. how to openly communicate, how to express your boundaries, your needs, your desires, and allow the agency of the other person to make that decision of whether they want to go on this journey with you. Mm -hmm. I don't see you self-sacrificing. I don't see you, Mm -mm. you know, um, minimizing your needs or or what it is that you want Mm -mm. to maintain this relationship. Exactly. Yeah. And you've created a culture around this yourself. So through this. And I just want to add one point. This didn't happen overnight. Like I didn't just wake up one morning and be like, you know what, this is how I'm going to be. It's like with every interaction, every date that I go on, I'm like, you know what, this, I don't, I don't like this, or I don't want to feel this way. Or this is, you know, if I ever have sex again, this is how I want the sex to be. This is how I want to feel when I'm sexually involved with someone, not like it just happens. And afterwards, I just feel empty because I never fully got what I wanted and needed out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. And I'm taking people along the journey. Um, if they want to go, <laughs> if they want that change, because a lot of people, a lot of women don't realize that this is something that they want. They are so damaged at times or, you know, stagnant in their healing that they don't realize that sex is a great thing is something that God made is great. And it should be shared with a person that you truly want to connect with and who wants to connect with you for the long term and not just for this short term, not just for this one night stand, not just for like, hey, I'm lonely. Can you come over real quick? But no, for the long term. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so tell tell our listeners about this conference that you've created and this culture that you've created around helping women in particular um, uh, overcoming their or moving through their sexual assault experiences. Sure. So sensuality and sexuality after MST, which is military sexual trauma, is a conference that I put together um, that brings in a sex therapist, Dr. Kat, um, tantra teachers, life coaches. <laughs> Um, And they're going to talk about tools, tips and tools around helping you move past those struggles in life when it comes to building intimacy and relationships and also confidence. Because, you know, in order to get to a point of intimacy, you have to be confident in yourself. Um, And then also, uh, in addition to that, in this, let me rewind. So also, this conference is free for female veterans. It will be held on Women's Veterans Day, June 12, 2021, and it's a virtual event. And then in addition to that, monthly, I started hosting free events for female veterans. Um, And for those events, they're hosted by a therapist. And we have like mini therapy sessions around roadblocks to intimacy. And then we also do explore different activities like sexual karaoke. Um, This next one, we're doing all things around orgasms because there's mental roadblocks They keep us from having orgasms that I've seen from a lot of women. 
And so um, I bring in the resources, the people and companies who have the resources as well as um, the information or the expertise in different areas to kind of help us help us move forward. Yeah, that's amazing. So uh, actually creating the solution to the challenge that you personally experience and you see mm-hmm. so many other women struggling with and not knowing where to go. I agree. And then also in our monthly events, it's to the point now where it's growing on its own and then it's developing kind of like this sisterhood where people are very transparent about their struggles. Like, hey, I'm dealing with this or, you know, I have a problem with orgasming or I have a problem with um, acceptance and I'm trying to identify resources that I can bring in to kind of help them along that way. Mm-hmm. So it's a great opportunity. Everybody is very supportive of each other and we're moving forward on our journey of uh, sexuality and sexuality. Yeah, I'm so excited to be a part of it. And you have an all-star team of speakers um, that I dove into the research about all of them and they're all powerful, somatic-inspired, trauma-informed practitioners that are incredible. I'm really stoked to, to be a part of that with you. And there's so much that I can say about each individual woman. Um, If you go to our website or our social media, I try to drop almost every single week or every other week um, tidbits about each uh, keynote speaker, which is Dr. Kat. Everybody knows her. She's phenomenal. (laughs) Um, And then all the other panelists, um, you can go on, like I said, the website or social media and look at um, kind of their experience and also their, their modalities. Um, They talk about that a little bit. There are videos out there on each one that talks about what they're going to talk about at the conference. So I'm excited. Yeah, me too. And for those of you who are looking for more information of how you can have better sex after trauma, I did episode number 78 of Mm -hmm. Eat, Play, Sex, all about that, giving you tips and tricks and even the types of therapies to go to and check out to be able to help move this through your body, not just the story, but the body too. Mm -hmm. So thank you so much, Damika, for coming on here. I'll put all the links in our show notes and June 7th. Yeah, June 12th on Women's Veterans Day is the conference. So check it out. And again, my pleasure. And thank you so much for being a part of the conference. And then also thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast. Lovers, thank you again for tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, hit subscribe and head over to eatplaysex.com to connect with me and grab my sexy guides. Because my goal here is to get you to eat, play, and sex better so you can improve your sex life, which will improve every aspect of your life. Until next time, keep it sexy.